The content discussed in the Left Behind series and therefore this podcast includes emotional trauma, human suffering, extreme violence, gore, as well as hurtful caricatures and stereotypes of marginalized groups, and is in no way reflective of the host's personal views or beliefs. But we beeped out the cuss words in case you want to listen in front of your mom. Left Behind is a multimedia franchise that started with a series of 16 best-selling religious novels by Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jang by Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jang. Oh my God! The future has come to pass. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of I Survive the Rapture. We're that podcast that analyzes the Left Behind novel series so you don't have to. I'm your last evangelical, Shane Bazell. And I'm your ecumenical fanboy, Gavin Russell. Hey, Gavin. Hey, Shane. I'm noticing something a little different, buddy. I'm noticing a little bit something different, too. Yep. So for the first time in the history of the show, which started during the COVID-19 pandemic, we are now recording in the same room. Yeah, like, this is honestly, it, like, the vibe is a little bit off. It's like, I'm not used to, like, seeing you in the flesh. Yeah, I know, it's, so it's wild. It's good. We're gonna have to take a little bit getting used to, but... It's all good, dude. So we're both vaxxed, and we're happy to be here to pretty much wrap up Apollyon, The Destroyer is Unleashed, book five. And we've also got a special presence in the studio. We got Alex as our producer, man in the ones and twos, making sure that we stay on time and stay on topic. Say hi. She said no. All right, so you ready to go ahead and jump into this one? First off the bat, I would like to again apologize for what I said during the Shadow the Hedgehog episode. <laughs> I was having a very shadow moment where I was just like, this book, it's not what I expected. It's a darkness inside my soul. I rescind all of those comments. This book is one of the better books we've gotten in this part of the series. Uh, after uh, the book that, of course, shall not be named. I thought the overall vibe of this one was, uh, was tension. A large portion of the book takes place in one city at that big conference in Israel. They are dealing with forces that are bigger than them the entire time and having to just ride on the seat of their pants the entire time. And I thought that was a really nice kind of stage setting. So what I'm hearing is you liked it. Yeah, I, I thought it was uh, I thought it was, it was pretty good. All right. All right. Well, you guys already know how I feel about this book. It is definitely my favorite one out of the original six, like the first six. It definitely gets crazier later on. I don't want to name a favorite yet. This is probably the one whose imagery and moments had the most impact on me. You've all heard me go on at length about the Robo Scorpions and how that was the inciting incident to create the podcast. But I think that there's more to it than that. I think that we have hit the point now. And this is something that we haven't talked about off mic, but I want to hear what your thoughts are on it. Kind of before now and a little bit of soul harvest, the judgments themselves and the prophecies were all about how Tim LaHaye was interpreting them. It was about taking that fantastical, almost mythical imagery of the four horsemen and of the stars falling from the sky, things like that during the sealed judgments, taking that and saying, okay, what does that translate to in a real world setting? How does the conquest and war 
and famine and pestilence, how do those all come to fruition within real world events, right? That's not happening anymore. And I think Zion even says, when the Bible says a third of all the trees and grass will be burned up, I don't know how else to interpret that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where at this point, they're just like, all right, everything's completely literal. And from there, we just get some like absolutely wild, like apocalyptic just things start happening as they rush to like fill in. Okay, how do I how do we make all these things happen? And I think that something that bears noting is that the more literal things get on the one hand, it's harder to fit into a narrative having to take those literal biblical prophecies about things like robo scorpions and make that real Mm -hmm. is going to push the credibility of the book, you know, to its breaking point. But I think that it's a credit to somebody like Jerry, and you know that I don't often compliment his writing, <laughs> but I'm going to do it right now. No, and I mean it. I'm not, I'm not memeing here. I want to give him some credit. You talked about the tension as it continues to ramp up. I think the more fantastic elements are brought in at some really well-timed moments. There are moments of quiet, and then something crazy happens. Mm-hmm. And now that something crazy doesn't even necessarily have to be supernatural. I wasn't expecting either this time, and I had forgotten about it from last time i wasn't expecting ken to die yeah and that's just like out of the blue you think plans going like fairly well um they're they're able to salvage it and then boom yeah ken's just gone i think it was a good moment and it hits really hard for me because i liked ken i will go ahead and say now that i do think ken is an archetype that connects to some problematic individuals in real life now what i mean by that is the prepper off the grid, away from society, gun-toting, almost cowboy types of people are typically not the folksy, family-oriented, good people that you see Ken Ritz become. I think that you have more of a Bundy clan vibe, people like that in real life. Um, You know, the kind of people who will have a standoff with the Bureau of Land Management. (laughs) Those are not the kind of people that you necessarily want on your team. IRL. And I think that this, in a way, kind of signals to them that, like, you're on our team. I don't really like that too much. But ultimately, the way Ken is written and the way he comes off the page, he's very likable. He's a good asset. I wanted to see him take part in more of these adventures. And then he's gone. Yeah. And how he kind of was shaping up to be another, like, core, like, I think we talked about him being, like, almost like Donnie Moore's replacement almost. That was kind of cool. How you had, like, the, the big tech guy that's doing even more wild stuff than what Donnie was doing. You know, it was cool to have like, you know, your, uh, your cybernetics expert of the team in there. So yeah, I, I had to see him go as well. And it kind of felt almost tacked on that they sort of had to hand the Donnie role off to Floyd. Mm-hmm. At that point, Floyd had to be the tech guy. But I think one of the biggest takeaways from this, and I know that like for people like you and me, people from our generation, we're kind of used to the whole trope of we're going to make you like a character and then we're going to kill them. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a whole franchise that sort of built its entire hype up on just that. That was, you know, big for a long time. And then everybody forgot about it, (laughs) (laughs) but it's something it's like a fantasy thing. I don't, I don't remember what it's called. So we we're kind of used to that, especially from things like prestige TV, which I think is kind of a crutch that long running series, especially in cable TV, will use to continue to up tension. I 
don't see it as commonly in series from this era, from like the 90s and stuff. And I may be wrong about that. I wasn't watching HBO in the 90s because I was in elementary school. That's what I'm seeing here. Do you get that vibe? Yeah, yeah, I kind of get that. It's kind of using uh, like any time it really needs to, I guess, push things along a little bit. They just, okay, let's uh, let's kill a character just to up the stakes. But it doesn't read as hacky. Yeah, to me. yeah, yeah. They they kill characters off, I guess, at very appropriate points. So that's another point I'll give Jerry, because like to, to give the guy a little bit of credit like you did, he has written like a bajillion books. So he, in theory, knows how to write one well. God, he's written so many books. Yeah. <laughs> and we're never going to get to all of them on this podcast. And I don't think I want to. I want to go on to other stuff. I don't want to read his like crime mystery novels that he, he started out like each one's around like a different girl that died. I don't want to read that. I'm sorry, no. but that, that, that will never be covered here. I would honestly probably rather read Tim's book about sex and marriage. <laughs> Just to know. I gotta know what's in there. I've listened to, like, a little bit of it. And what? It's a, yeah, I've listened, yeah, because, like, when I bought, I, I posted about this on the page a, a while back, but uh, when I bought an audiobook subscription to the, the religion and spirituality section so I could get all of the uh, Left Behind books at a little bit more cost-effective price, they just, that was in uh, the religion and spirituality section under Tim LaHaye. So it was a lot. I couldn't get through all of it. I listened to 2x speed. It was about what you'd expect. I can't believe you did that. (laughs) (laughs) You were way more committed to this. So let's talk about some of the plot beats and the things that happened and kind of how those fit into the larger narrative that they're spinning. Because Mm -hmm. you said tension is kind of the theme for the book for you. Mm -hmm. I got a different one. Okay. For me, it's suffering. Ah, I can definitely see that. Not that the suffering that the main characters in the Tribulation Force are going through isn't going to ramp up. It definitely is, and that feeds into the whole persecution complex thing that we've talked about again and again and again. I feel like we have certain themes that we consistently go back to and we're like, oh, there it is again. Yep. But the suffering that takes place in this book on a worldwide scale is exclusively to the elect. Yeah. Now, we've talked about the concept of the elect within religious, you know, doctrine and theology that when you're of the elect, that means you are chosen by God or you have signed up to be on God's team. So in this case, the elect are the sealed ones. They're the tribulation saints. They're the 144,000. They're everybody who's on team Jesus. Yeah. You are watching from the beginning when they arrive in Israel, they see that Israel and even Jerusalem itself, the holy city, has slumped into a decline. They are dealing with this perpetual drought brought along by Eli and Moisha. They are suffering. They are trying to take out their frustrations and deal with their desperation through vice. Yeah. They're trying to evoke the Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, the evil city, kind of as a, a literary trope. Yeah, with the uh, astrology shops, porn uh, dispensaries, what else did they, what did they say was in the city? There's like magic shops, triple X uh, entertainment, and like... Lots of bars. And lots of bars, yeah, and tattoo parlors and stuff. Yeah, like we said, it's just that one area of Watson and Night City. Mm-hmm. The people who are not suffering and who very specifically get access to cool, clean water are the attendees of the conference. They are the elect. Everyone else is literally suffering like the Egyptians in the book of Exodus by having their water turned to blood. The perfect way to demonstrate them make that divide 
is with Chloe and Hattie and how their plot lines go into uh, them having children. Yeah, talk because, about that for a little bit. Yeah, so it's it's very clearly trying to show that if you uh, follow God, good things will happen to you. Chloe gets to uh, have uh, her baby and Hattie does not. And that's showing like, hey, if you believe in God, like everything's going to be good for you. You're going to be rewarded. But if not, you're going to be punished and you're going to suffer. It is the literal virgin and the whore. Yeah. Because if we remember from Tribulation Force, Chloe, before she marries Buck, is a virgin. Yeah. So it's it's a dichotomy that extends outside of this Christian fiction. Like, I'm not going to pretend that every slasher movie doesn't have this in there. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad or a good thing on its face. It's kind of neutral. That's in some cases what tropes are. Do I think that this one is neutral? Not really. That's my personal opinion. I don't think that it's a good one. What I'm trying to say is that it exists outside of Christian literature. Yeah, exactly. However, since we have to take the context in because we've always said these books don't exist in a vacuum, the very clear message is the good little Christian girl who saved herself for marriage and has decided to follow Jesus gets to keep her baby, whereas the whore of Babylon, who was literally boning the Antichrist and was going to have his baby, gets her child brutally taken away from her. Mm-hmm. I think there, there could have been like a lot more room for like good character moments if Hattie did have like get to have her her child and like that also is piggybacking on how like they just kind of because in Soul Harvest and Nikolai that's like the something that they keep on like prodding at and is like setting up like hey we want to have this plot line to even like have Hattie feel comfortable with that but then they just throw it away just like they do the whole Amanda White being evil things. A lot of the plot lines involving the women of the series that could give them some like cool and big moments are kind of just thrown to the side. And I'm not sure if they meant to do that intentionally or if that was if that is uh, it's showing a, a good bit of their bias there. I think it's probably the latter mm-hmm. because, I mean, we know these guys yeah. at this point. We've gotten to know their worldview pretty well. While I think that Jerry on a sliding scale is going to be more woke than Tim. Just, I know it's a sliding scale. Mm-hmm. If he's woke at all, he's always paying lip service to, you know, equality and to treating his female characters like his male characters. But we know he doesn't, mm-hmm. whether or not it's explicitly in the text, we know how he feels and how he's writing these people. And I think that's just bias. He's coming to the surface, right? Uh, on the the Hattie Amanda plot line that we got thrown at, I think that was why the first episode of this trio that I was like so put off is because like first of all the whole Hattie being like oh I've uh, I've I've done really horrible things and it's just that she helped fake some stuff about Amanda White and that also tying into like the Amanda White plot line just getting like. <laughs> thrown in the garbage yeah. is like why I uh, I reacted so negatively at first. I'm going to say something and it is not a huge spoiler. Hattie's arc, she is not disposable. That is about the best thing that I can say for her is ultimately she is not disposable, but I want to get to the end of her arc when we eventually do get there. Okay. And I want to re-examine what we're talking about now. Okay. Especially in terms of Amanda and some of the other female characters, we're going to do a check-in at that point. Okay. And I want to hear what you think. All right. But see, now you got me thinking about like, so Hattie, 
has the baby, and so does Chloe, and those two kids get to grow up together in, you know, literally the last days of the Earth, and you have so much potential there to, like, tell a story. So you now have these two women who have their kids to watch over. One of them has a husband in the picture, the other one doesn't, and having to deal with everything that comes along with being a mother and getting to watch those kids grow up because like by the time the books end, that's three and a half years later. So you've got kids that are now three and a half years old or about maybe four. So old enough to be aware of what's going on. I think that's a cool beat that you can follow. Yeah, I I think so as well. They just sort of squander it for essentially a torture porn scene that you i think described as the thing you should never put in your book yeah it was like when we were recording that like you could feel like the tone shift when i was like covering that section because it was just uncomfortable alex is making a very very unpleasant face i don't know man it's just it's such a waste it's it's absolutely squandered story potential and like look i get it like go write a different book if you think this book is bad. But I'm disappointed, and I know you are too. Yeah, yeah, because, like, that's one of the main things about this book series that we keep returning to is there's a lot of wasted potential because, like, this, at certain points of this book, it it's actually genuinely entertaining, but the parts that aren't feel so much more worse because you can see that there is a little bit of good storytelling in here they just keep falling away from. I remember what I was going to ask you. Okay. Is Hattie's baby in heaven? I mean, I've heard like different theological interpretations of what happens to kids who die. I I would say yeah, but I know some denominations would say no. We're probably going to get to see at some point, especially once we get to Kingdom Come, because remember, I haven't actually read it, not all of it. Oh my God. Oh my God. That's like, it's like the post credit scene when you get to see who made it to heaven. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess we'll see, but I will put in there that very specifically Floyd said, it's not a baby. Uh... Now, is that just sloppy or lazy writing on their part? Because remember, that's so counter, and I said this earlier, to the abortion narrative that no, it very much is a baby. So did it have a soul? Did it go to heaven? Did its life begin at conception? These are a lot of questions that I honestly don't think they considered. Yeah. And I hate to be that guy of like trying to overanalyze something that, you know, the authors clearly didn't intend in the text and kind of like trying to do basically like a monster truck rally jump right over the authorial intent there. But when your authorial intent has to get married to your Christian worldview and your lessons you're trying to teach, I think I get to do that. What do you guys think? Maybe comment on the show. Do you guys think that Hattie's baby will be in heaven? I'm going to tell you personally, based on the way I was brought up, Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this, how I was brought up too, yes, but I know there are some that would say no out um, there. I would say from some personal experiences and things that happened with my family, some rough stuff that we went through, um, the answer would definitely be yes. And honestly, that's something that me personally, never really able to grasp. Like the grief mixed with they're in the better place just never clicked for me. Like, okay, if they're in the better place, why are we sad? Yeah, and I've like, heard I've heard some people like that's like kind of the reason like hey, that's why funerals are like celebrations cuz they're in a better place. That always seemed like bull. 
Yeah, it, 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 that seemed like a weird, like, kind of plat, like a, yeah, just a plat. Like, to you're, me that well. is such cope. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Like, and I, I know I'm kind of being a little flippant when it comes to loss and grief. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying that, like, doctrinally speaking, that, that smells like cope to me. Yeah. I, I would agree as well, which it's fine. Cope all you need to. Grief sucks. Loss sucks. It is a terrible thing to go through. And in fact, I've heard it referred to as the club nobody wants to join. Mm hmm. I, I don't know. There's a part of me that kind of wishes sort of like we do that less ink was spent on the authors reinforcing things that their audience already believed and more of them kind of interrogating and exploring some of these ideas. Because when you put your characters in dire situations and their faith is such an important part of their lives, that's a great opportunity. You have the opportunity to have them question things. You have the opportunity to have them really examine one what the bible says two what they're being taught by their pastors and their leaders and three how other people who may or may not be in the faith or may have a differing opinion on the faith or a different interpretation of the faith can interface with that mm -hmm. that's just thrown completely out the window because everything in this is either you are with us hook line and sinker or you are against us either you are among the elect and you follow our doctrine to the letter or you are with the evil one. And that brings up something that I pointed out in a previous episode. Remember when they said, you've had enough time to make your choice now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're not with us, it's because you love sin too much. Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah, f that. <laughs> I, that really bothered me. And I think that that's going to dock a couple of points off my score. Honestly, yeah. like, I love this book, man. I really enjoyed it. I think I read this one three times. I had a lot of fun. Alex remembers me reading it in the kitchen while I was making dinner. I really like this one. I have a lot of fond memories of it, but there's just stuff in it that doesn't work. Right. So back to the suffering thing, the suffering for five months. This is where it got extremely intense for me. And I think that, you know, as a younger kid, I couldn't wrap my mind around that kind of suffering of being in that kind of intense pain for literally five months. Yeah, because these characters like immobilized essentially. Like if you get stung by one of the Apollyon demons, you are essentially bedridden. It's hard to move. You need people to take care of you yeah, essentially. For 150 days and you cannot find relief. Sleep doesn't bring relief. Death doesn't bring relief because you can't die. Yeah. I know we said this earlier, but what do you think happens when... The five months are up. Let's uh, say that you you did something that some of these unnamed characters try to do in terms of ending their suffering, you know, jumping in front of a train or, you know, take a bunch of pills or, you know, something like that that would normally bring death but doesn't. What happens when the five months are up? Ah, uh, let's see. I'm Well, I'm not sure if the property, like if the the you can't experience death continues on for five months, but I'd say if that, like, if everything of the sting wears off after five months, that's when you go. And that five months of suffering was almost like the time that you had left to convert. I think you're right. Mm -hmm. um, because they did specifically say people are lying there looking like pieces of hamburger, but they can't die. Yeah. So, which is abysmally disturbing. In the past, they've had that torture porn element, but this one, they hammered on that a few times more than usual. Yeah. And I like that you brought up this is when you had time to convert because now we're going to get to the other thing that's stuck in my craw. And I know it's stuck in yours too. 
How many times in this book did you notice them saying, God is doing this to get your attention. He is doing this because he loves you. That was pretty frequent. And that was one of the bits that really kind of unsettled me because it started to highlight like the almost abusive dynamic that that this form of Christianity tries to say that you need to have your relationship of God with what's kind of hammered into your head in a lot of uh, these like Bible camps and stuff is hey you need to fear God you need to fear this guy because he has like immense amount of wrath but he's not always going to use that wrath on you because he loves you and even if he does hey you just gotta you gotta trust him trust in the plan and that sort of thing. Now, I really want to ask you, is that the God you grew up knowing? That Yeah, that was the one, the one that was kind of in the, the churches and the circles that I was in. That was kind of the, uh, the default that was thrown my way. That, hey, you need to both fear and love this entity. And if you don't have the fear of God in you, then something is wrong. That's really interesting, dude. And that's a contrast to me. So you had some of that old school, like sinners in the hands of an angry God sort of yeah. doctrine, right? Mm-hmm. That's really different from me. And, you know, welcome to Off the Record. We're going to bear our souls a little bit. When I was growing up, we were not taught to fear God, not in any way. We were taught to understand that God was all powerful, that he was everywhere, and that he knew everything. There was never a tinge of fear there. It was always God loves you. God is here for you. The blame for suffering was shifted. Um, There's specifically a verse, and I can't remember what it is, but it was that he allows us to go through struggles to refine us as gold is refined in fire. Ah, okay. So we are tempered by suffering. It is allowed to happen. It is not directed at us and caused by God. That was something that happened in the Old Testament. But with the New Testament, we are redeemed, and the Old Testament rules in the same way no longer apply. I'm going to get nerdy here for a second. So the way that we were taught about the Old versus the New Testament is that the word testament in that context, when you translate it from the original and into English, which I don't even think you need to translate it because I don't think that they were divided that way. Old Testament meant like old contract. That was God's old law. That was the Hebrew God, his original contract. This is what he had set out for the world then the Deuteronomic God. Yeah. So everybody in here who's read Snow Crash, I know I've mentioned it before, but that was the original deal, Mm -hmm. the original contract. Ten Commandments, you know, the fall of Adam and Eve, all that fits into that original contract. Jesus comes along and says, I am altering the deal. The New Testament is written. A new contract gets struck. The old rules don't necessarily apply. Yeah. And Jesus did that By fulfilling certain terms of the original contract, he was the ultimate blood sacrifice because he was a man who was sinless, and that is what allowed God to essentially draft a new contract. Now, if you're sitting there and going, well, if God's all-powerful, couldn't he just do that anyway? Yeah, we know. And we're we're past that. (laughs) When we were taught about suffering and bad things, the problem of evil, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen at all? Why is evil allowed to persist? It was because that all fits into God's plan. And that actually fits with something that happens in the book. 
the scorpion demons from the pit of hell, literal embodiments of evil given physical form, are on God's payroll. Yeah, yeah. They, they are working for him because they don't have any other choice. He is using them for good. And I think Buck even says that to himself. Yeah, because even though that they are machinations of Satan, like Satan was still created by God in the beginning. So it's like you go one up the tier and he still has control over him, which I thought was... Uh, I thought it was an interesting uh, point of view of it. Like, just when the demons come in in general, that's when uh, I, we get a, a lot of really good uh, supernatural moments, which I want to kind of hit on. Like, the amount of supernatural moments in this book was one of the best features of it, because, like, Eli and Moisha have almost, like, superhero-esque moments uh, mm-hmm. all throughout the I wanna book. Say, I want to say one more okay. thing before we get to that. When you talk about fearing God. Yeah. Your ultimate fear is that obviously he will send you to hell, mm-hmm. right? In the way I was taught, God does not send you to hell. You do it to yourself. Really? You choose to not be part of God's kingdom for eternity. Therefore, he must turn away from you. And that is what hell is. Hell is the ultimate separation. Yeah. It was described to me what hell is. They said, imagine what a prisoner goes through in solitary confinement with a complete cutoff of all sense, all connection to literally anything. Mm -hmm. Now take that on a metaphysical cosmic scale where you literally cannot sense the presence of anything else. And that's what hell is. That that's existential horror as it's awful, (laughs) but you did it to yourself because you chose not to come along. So it's not that God does it to you. He's trying to get your attention. He's always trying to talk to you and work in your life, and he is sending all of these pastors and teachers and these Bible pamphlets you find on the ground. That's God trying to get your attention, say, but you're the one who ignored it. Right, and that is, uh, I've heard the whole separation from God angle thrown in too, but that was almost like another layer. I don't know, it was more of just like differing interpretations even within like the Baptist faith, because some people was like, oh, hell is like a place of uh, suffering and fire, and then people are like, no, it's just eternal separation from God. So I heard both of those kind of uh, analogies. And they're both up. valid because there is a literal lake of fire that they talk about in Revelation that the people who follow Satan and the Antichrist will be cast into. Mm-hmm. And so if we're going along the left behind route where we're taking this stuff literally, it's in there. Like they didn't make up the whole hell is the lake of fire thing, even though there's not really a lot written about hell, you know, and the idea of hell in the New Testament. I could go on for days about that. Maybe we'll do a special on hell. But the lake of fire is definitely in Revelation. So that's also a valid reading of it. Yeah. So speaking of lake of fire and hell and supernatural stuff, what was your favorite supernatural moment of the book? I have two. One was the whole uh, the Apollyon demons coming out. But also my uh, one of my other favorite big moments was when Eli and Moisha uh, are pretty much just standing there and global community was threatened like, hey, we're about to blow up the area. Everyone get out. And they're just like, nope. And then they just disappear. Yep. And they short out all of the mines and the bombs. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I really like that. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I got to give it to the scorpion demons, dude. Mm-hmm. That's the whole reason I'm here. So <laughs> they are my favorite. I can't wait to see the artist renditions of those that we get. <laughs> Hopefully. Dude, they're great. Yeah. Like, I, I, I love them. It is true. We've made it, guys. 
Stephen King mode has been activated. We have the weirdness. Just them swarming and chanting all at once is such a terrifying, just what do you do? Like you can't do anything against that. They're going to get you. I love it. It's I love everything about it. I love the descriptions of their design. I love the absolutely impotent attempts to protect against them with yeah. like the beekeeper suit, the cricket bat, the tennis racket. Like I love Buck being utterly fascinated with them. I love everything about this. It is a complete sea change for the whole series. And we're not going back after this. It kind of, in some ways, uh, and just because kind of like you had everyone like prepping with getting like various like equipment to try to like fight them. That's like very shambled. It almost reminded me of like a zombie apocalypse kind of a deal. And they're all trying to get in. Yeah. They're locking everything down. Yeah. And it's better to me that Mm -hmm. it's not zombies. It's flying robo scorpion man face woman hair demons. Oh, and also, I don't think we've said this yet, but it all, uh, we made the joke that they're almost like Pokemon because they can only say their name. I don't think we made that joke, <laughs> yeah, but... Yeah, do that. <laughs> uh, it's the worst Pokemon. What type would they be? Uh, I would say, like, Fire and Dark. Yeah, they're Fire Dark. Okay. No, what about Bug? Or Steel as well, maybe? Oh, steel they're, Bug? They're, they're Bug Steel Dark. Yeah, Bug Steel can you do a three? No, I've, I've I've always like wanted them to do three because that would been that would be pretty good, but that would like mess up type combinations really weird. They could also be poison. Yeah, they could. I would say I would say poison steel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, poison steel. That's another left behind character. That's a uh, OC don't steal. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that, I promise. <laughs> as far as uh, Eli and Moisha moments go, too, I think this book had, like, the best Eli and Moisha moments, too, period. Like, they are, like, front and center for most of the book. Yeah, they better get those moments in now. Their appointed time is coming. Yeah, I'm not sure when. Long. Yeah, you'll, we'll, you'll get there. Okay. <laughs> Before we get to rating, what do you think about the ending? I I thought it was honestly just a, a tad bit rushed. And I, I know you liked it because it was more of a happy ending. That threw me off a little bit, to be honest. It, it was the most underwhelming ending, uh, I think, that we've gotten for a few books. I would say it is flirting with anticlimax. Yeah, I, 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 would, uh, I would agree with that statement. I would say that there's still an amount of tension and peril that happens for the characters, specifically Chloe, but everyone around her supporting her as well. Mm-hmm. However, I think after the high strangeness that we get with the scorpion demons having that ramp down into a slightly less tense thing which ends on what is ultimately a form of happy ending give them a damn moment to breathe that's what i needed that that is fair and uh, i think just that little ray of hope at the end with little old kenneth bruce which that's, I mean, I guess you have to be born into the left behind universe with like a weird name. Yeah. So it fits, but still that's like the worst name for a child. They ever. have to be trying at this point. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I can kind of agree with you there. How you have that little like ray of hope at the end of the tunnel to kind of give characters a reprieve. Yeah, so you haven't met um, the new character that gets introduced in book six, dumb name McGillicuddy. Oh no. <laughs> you almost believed me there for a second. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, I I liked the ending unapologetically. I I think that it was a an even Hattie wept at the end because <laughs> she's another one of my favorite characters, giving her a moment to just be part of the family. Mm-hmm. I liked it. OK, so let's go and hop on two of our four horses and ride on out of here. Can you imagine if we had four hosts? We'd never get a 
recording session scheduled. Oh my God. We could call ourselves the four horsemen and then we would never have a podcast. Let's go ahead and give it a rating. Um, you want to go first? Yeah. Uh, I think it was better than soul harvest, but not by a whole lot more. I gave soul harvest a 2.5. So I'm going to give this one a solid three. Uh, I think it improved upon some of the things I didn't like in the last one, but still had some problems with the whole with uh, certain arts not being really fulfilled in satisfying ways at the very beginning. So I'm going to give it a three. Okay, I also want to give it a three, three horsemen out of four. However, after sitting here and talking with you about it for the last 45 minutes or so, I'm starting to remember why I liked it. Okay, I'm going back through the events in my head and realizing how each one really resonated with me. There's enough that I'm going to take points off. I'm going to give Apollyon a 3.5. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. Just saying it. I'm going to give it a 3.5. All right. With that, we are almost to the halfway point, Gav. Almost halfway to being free <laughs> from the main series of Left Behind. Yep. So with that, we are about to move into book six. As has become tradition on the Off the Record episodes, I am now about to read the plot summary of Assassins, Assignment Jerusalem, Target Antichrist. The Tribulation Force hurdles toward the four murders told in prophecy. Antichrist himself is prophesied to suffer a lethal head wound as a supernatural horde of 200 million demonic horsemen slays a third of the remaining population. The Tribulation Force prepares for a future as fugitives. Yet another Force member dies, and others join as crises draw them around the globe. All right, so you about ready to jump into Assassins? Yep. I... Can I just say the dumbest subtitle we've had yet? Yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> they are really going to reach for the Tom Clancy vibes here as if they haven't done that already. So we're going to get dipping back into like book one, book two levels of stuff. But I'm excited. 200 million demonic horsemen are going to wreck shop all over <laughs> the world. Um, and if you think those are figurative, you should know better. Oh, here we go. Oh, man. In glorious appearing, is Jesus going to pull a sword out of his mouth? I'm going to make you wait and see. I know. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> First, I'm going to say, what do you think? And then I'm going to say, we'll wait and see. Okay. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another off-the-record episode on book five of the Left Behind series. Thanks for sticking with us so far. This has been I Survived the Rapture. I'm Shane Bazell. And I'm Gavin Russell. And until next time, don't leave your keys where the homicidal girl in the basement can get to them. Bye. Okay, that's our show. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Rapture Podcast. I Survived the Rapture is part of the IndieSource Podcast Network. For more great shows and to join the conversation, please visit IndieSource.com and check out the IndieSource Discord. We'll see you there. And thanks for listening. And lead you a